Welcome to the Next in Health podcast. I'm Igor Belakronitsky. I'm a principal with PwC Strategy and where I get to help leading health organizations with their strategies and operating models. And today's topic is the future of vaccines. There have been very exciting developments in the world of vaccines in the last couple of years across the entire ecosystem, all the way from innovation to distribution and reimbursement. And we have great guests today to tell us more about the present and future of vaccines. From PwC, we have my colleagues Amy Hunkler and May Weiser. They're leaders in our pharma and life sciences team. They're also leaders in our vaccine practice, and they're focused on commercial strategy. And from Pfizer, we're also very excited to have join us today Charles Jones, a vaccine industry leader. And so Amy, May, and Charles, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us, Igor. Thank you. Nice to be here. Excellent. Well, Charles, let's start with you. I'd love to have you introduce yourself and describe your work and then tell us what you're seeing in the U.S. vaccines market happening. Wonderful. So for those listening, I'm Charles Jones. I am the mRNA platform and early commercial strategy lead at Pfizer. And in my current role, I get to take on the interesting, hard to define projects that don't nicely fall into the traditional pharma model. Look to the future with vaccines and say, what happens if we continue to innovate at the pace we have with this pandemic? As the world is growing older, products are actually going to outpace that. So that introduces a different type of complexity than we've ever seen before. Meaning, is there ever such a thing as too much is a good thing in vaccines? So I'm excited to talk about that today. And I won't give it away too much of the detail. So Amy, May. Yeah, maybe just to add on a little bit to that, Charles, thank you so much for that introduction. I think part of what's so exciting right now about working in vaccines is everything is changing all at once. To your point, our pipelines are evolving rapidly. We're seeing levels of investment that we've never seen before in vaccines, which is leading to launches and infectious disease targets that we couldn't imagine five years ago. With that, every single stakeholder in the ecosystem also has to evolve. And that's part of why um, I'm so excited for this discussion today, because I think this will have, this will carry forward meaningful implications across every single part of our ecosystem in healthcare, not just the vaccine manufacturers. Very helpful. And Charles teased a few of the big changes that he's seeing, which is the marketplace becoming more crowded and also faster and more dynamic with more things happening at the same time. So very curious to hear more about that, this notion of a changing competitive landscape and the changing schedule and the pace of the marketplace going forward. So we'd love to hear more about that. Sure. I always love to talk about this concept of innovation as it meets a more antiquated or really underappreciated sector. What's really happening here is something that's been a long time in the making. Though we like to reference the pandemic as the source of innovation, the drive of everything for this market, really it dates back to Prevnar and the validation that you can have a premium product in the vaccines landscape. That was quickly followed on by Shingrix and it really just helped redefine, I would say, a market that didn't really have its place in the broader pharmaceutical world. So getting right to the point, what's happening now is that we have an aging population. And that means there's going to be a greater need for preventative products that will help them age from 60 to 80 to 90. But with this, now we're going to have too many. To your point, 
patients only have so many arms, right? Which I think is what you're saying. Like, it's great that we're going to have so many great vaccines, but that'll come with trade-offs. You're exactly right. And with that trade-off, that means we're going to have to start thinking about how the vaccine season is designed. Right now, we have been fortunate, or let's say unfortunate, to only have to focus on flu, the seasonal. And that happens to coincide with back to school. So we have this convergence of numerous events that makes the logistics of vaccination quite easy. So even if you only have two arms, you still only need to go one time a year. So as we have greater complexity, greater number of products, that just means we're going to have a greater need for our healthcare workers to be equipped and knowledgeable to deliver the care. And I'll stop it here to pass it on for you all to comment on, but how does it sit with you all whenever you look to the future and there is going to be a shortage, as they currently predict, of healthcare workers? That's very helpful framing and you're laying out the big changes in the marketplace, more crowded, more dynamic, faster paced. You're talking about the manufacturers, you're talking about the patients themselves who only have so many arms. And then you're starting to bring in other stakeholders like the caregivers who are charged with administering these vaccines. And so I want to continue on this theme of different stakeholders that are involved in this process and on whom we depend to make this process successful. And I wonder, May, if you would comment on some of the other stakeholders that are involved in the process, like policymakers, because really for all of this to work, everybody kind of has to be on the same page. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Exactly to your point, it starts with the policymakers, right? Because in vaccines, everything comes back to that recommendation. And to Charles's point, as the schedule becomes more crowded, as we have more and more vaccines that adults are eligible for every single year, I think policymakers like the ACIP in the U.S. will ultimately have to make a decision on the degree of prescriptiveness that they want to incorporate into the schedule. If you think about the pediatric vaccine schedule as an example, that's something that's highly controlled, highly prescriptive, you know, exactly what vaccine a child needs at every month of their age. So then the question becomes, will that also have to be true as the adult schedule becomes more crowded, compounding more and more vaccines, requiring more specific recommendations on timing to help demystify and decomplexify the schedule for stakeholders down the line? And then if you carry that forward, think about the channels themselves, right? Individual HCPs or retail sites. Now there's a trade-off on what to stock in the fridge because there's only so much room. So if you're a healthcare provider and you're making these types of decisions, it's no longer a question of, well, which of these flu vaccines do I stock? It's how much of flu do I stock versus COVID versus RSV versus pneumococcal, so on and so on as we get more and more vaccines online. And then finally, you can just imagine how this trickles down all the way to payers in terms of the cost burden. And finally, to patients, to the earlier point raised, you know, we only have so many arms. And so at some point, as we see a future where patients are now eligible for three, four, five, six vaccines potentially every single year, especially those older people, you know, 65 plus, what types of trade-offs will they be required to make? And how can the ecosystem at large help to make that decision easier? And what role will the patients themselves play in taking a step forward and being more empowered and in, in informing that decision? And I think that's part of the key questions that all of us that work in healthcare and across healthcare will need to be solving for over the next five years. And May, I would add on to that. I really like the way that you framed it. You took us down a logistical path down the ecosystem 
But if we were to take all that you said and take a step back, let's put in perspective the size of the upcoming revolution that we're going to encounter. If you look at the annual flu vaccines that are administered each year in the U.S., they always average between 150 to 200 million per year. When we look to the future, let's say three years from now, when we have RSV, COVID, and flu, let alone the pneumococcal, the shingles, and numerous other adult vaccines, if you look at the seasonal products right there and say we had the same immunization rate as we had before, that is about 450 million to 500 million just off of those vaccines alone. To put this in perspective, that's almost the entire global volume of flu vaccines given in a three-month period in the U.S. We didn't even have that type of immunization rate during the pandemic. So even as we try to wrestle with the logistics and complexities of navigating the ecosystem, we simply don't have the scale needed right now. And that's going to take a broader effort with every participant in the ecosystem to really try to tackle. That's such a great point. And it takes me back to one of the points that you raised earlier, Charles, which is just to make it real, we only have so many healthcare workers that are able to vaccinate. So what happens to the capacity in the system when the number of vaccine doses that we're putting into arms every single season starts to multiply. And I won't go on, May. It's so easy to build off of one another because this thought exercise is just putting one foot in front of the other or going down the rabbit hole. Because if you follow your example there, who is then going to immunize? Is this going to then be PCPs, mid-levels? Will it be someone else? This means we start to have to rethink just the organization of how we deliver care. And you can continue that thought experiment forward across any other stakeholder also. And Charles, you bring up a good point around the broader stakeholders. And May, I think you mentioned this too. But to me, one of the biggest shifts that we saw happen during the pandemic was the rise of the consumer playing a much more critical and impactful role as we we think about the entire vaccination value chain. And certainly within the pandemic, they were activated in a way that we really haven't seen since probably the polio epidemic. And it wasn't just related to recognizing the role that vaccines play and maintaining our health and our our day-to-day life, but also this emerging sense of both a recognition and a brand, a preference for brands in the vaccine space, which we've never seen before. I think it's really interesting to think about why this might persist into the future and really transform the immunization value chain. And I think it speaks to the point, Charles, that you made before that optionality and choice will really be king as we see new applications for vaccines, new technologies emerging, as well as new competitors that are disrupting the space. How will consumers lean in and play a role in determining when they get vaccinated for what pathogens and with what products? And I think preferences around trust, around convenience will start to become more and more critical influencing those decisions than maybe some of the traditional dynamics that we've seen in the past. That's a great point, Amy. And maybe just to make it real, you know, if we think back historically, we were never living in a world where patients are walking into the pharmacy or to their doctor and requesting a specific flu vaccine, right? Most patients would probably come in for the annual flu shot and not have a level of awareness of what product is going into their arm. But now on the heels of the pandemic and the wave of both brand recognition, but also brand identity that many patients associated with those brands, you have to wonder what might happen to the evolving role of the consumer in the future and how that might impact the balance of power within the overall ecosystem that impacts the decisions 
that every single stakeholder makes in informing the vaccines that are stocked and administered. This is a very helpful conversation and drawing a very vivid picture of this future that is very exciting and also perhaps a little bit chaotic where front stage, it's important to help consumers make good decisions and engage and drive trust. And backstage, meanwhile, all the various participants need to figure out how to make sure they have the right capacity at the right time, at the right place to actually deliver on the promises. And I know the discussion so far has focused on here are the challenges and here are the problems to solve. But I wonder as we bring it to a close, any suggestions from all of you to the various stakeholders in terms of how they should be thinking about this, how they should be preparing themselves, how they should be engaging with each other to plan for this and make sure that this future produces great outcomes, great equity, great results for the consumers. Igor, I can start. I like to end things on a philosophical note. Many have heard me say this, but if we look at the office with Andy Bernard in the last one of the last episodes where he says, I wish we had a way of knowing where the good old days before we left them. When we hear this, we often think it's some callback to nostalgia, but really it speaks to our inability to see what's important in front of us. And this has plagued us time and time again. So when we look to today, all the information's in front of us, we know that's going to occur. So for the stakeholders in the ecosystem, not one single person, not one single group can make a change in a way that would truly solve this complexity. This is going to be one of the most transformative, collaborative events in our time. And I'm really excited to be a part of it because with the unknown means there's opportunity. And we truly do have an opportunity to save many more lives, truly address equity, and really just do something cool. Yeah, and one more thing to add on that, Charles, I I think that was a great summary. I like particularly the point that you made about equity. And I think the pandemic really emphasized the importance of equity, both from local to national to international in terms of why that concept is so important to recognize the value proposition of vaccines. And as I think about this impact really being across the value chain and across all the players in the ecosystem, those partnerships to really address some of the core equity challenges that we know to exist and the different triggers for those challenges that are starting to emerge are going to be imperative to really realizing this value and addressing some of these issues. So certainly from an ecosystem's perspective, equity should be a focus. Fantastic. Well, Charles, Amy, May, thank you for joining us today and painting for us this great picture of this exciting future where we have a lot more vaccines and we can create much greater health outcomes for our consumers as long as we can all work together. And I'm glad the three of you are trying to solve this problem. For more on these topics and other health industry insights driven by policy, innovation, and care delivery changes, please subscribe to our podcast and be sure to check out the previous episodes. Until next time, this has been Next in Health. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. 
PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.